0: as a church we've been going through the book of first samuel today we come to chapter 2 verses 11 through 26 the book of first samuel began honing in on one particular family This was a family from the area of Rematham in the hill country of Ephraim in ancient Palestine. This family consisted of a man, Elkanah, and his two wives, Penina and Hannah. Penina, we read, was able to bear children. Hannah, when we're introduced to this family, was not. The family would take trips, as many Jewish families of that time would, to the temple or sanctuary at Shiloh back when the people of ancient Israel had wandered in the wilderness. They had a central movable sanctuary space called the tabernacle. This was the center of ancient Israel's worship, and the priests and Levites would preside at this tabernacle. We read in the book of Judges that when the ancient people of God arrived in the land of Canaan, eventually they set this tabernacle for years in a place called Shiloh. At that point, it was often referred to afterwards as the temple. Years later, that center of ancient Israel's worship would move roughly 20 miles south to Jerusalem, but at the time of 1 Samuel, it was in Shiloh. There, there was a high priest who served at the temple, and there were also attendant priests that were called Levites. Levites were also representatives of the broader family of Israel, a kind of firstborn of the family of Israel dedicated to God. So, those of the tribe of Levi, Levites were occupying this place of kind of assistant priest at the temple Previously, the sanctuary. Well, during one of Elkanah, Hannah and Peninnah's visits to Shiloh, the high priest Eli sees Hannah praying. Her mouth was moving, but no words were coming out, and she was praying, asking God for a son. Eli initially thinks she's drunk because of how her lips are moving and accuses her as such. Hannah defends herself and says, I was not drunk, but pouring my heart out to God, asking For a son, Eli, then offers this intercessory prayer. He says, "'May God grant the petition that you have asked.'" And God does. God answers Hannah's prayer. God answers Eli's intercessory prayer for her, and she has a son. Well, years later, once Samuel, that boy that is born to Hannah, gets a little bit older, Hannah brings him with her when they head to Shiloh, and this time she leaves Samuel with Eli the priest for him to train Samuel. And at this point, Samuel is kind of like a Levite or a priest in training or someone who's assisting at the temple. He's not officially called a Levite, though in 1 Chronicles, he is connected with the tribe of Levi. We think that's probably symbolic because in 1 Samuel, he's connected with the tribe of Ephraim, as we read in chapter 1. And yet, because he occupied this role of assistant at the temple, he was kind of a Levite, though not able to carry out all the responsibilities only a Levite could do. Well, as Samuel grows up in the temple, under Eli's care, we begin to read about Eli, the high priest's sons, and we learn their behavior was very poor. Ordinarily, the son or sons of a high priest would be the next to become the high priest and preside over the temple. But Eli's, with Eli's sons, this was a problem, for they were behaving very badly. We read that they were taking a portion of the offering that was meant to be dedicated to God there was a portion of that that was supposed to go to the priest and their family, but Eli's sons were taking more than their allotted share and demanding it before the meat was even cooked. We'll hear now how Eli confronts them with this and the prayer Eli offers. As we prepare for this reading of Scripture from 1 Samuel chapter 2, let's pray. Loving God, pray that you would illumine our minds and hearts now, that the words we hear read and proclaimed might be for us your words. Speak to us, we pray. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.
1: Amen. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, while the boy remained to minister to the Lord in the presence of the priest Eli. Now the sons of Eli were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord or for the duties of the priests to the people. When anyone offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the one who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, Let them burn the fat first, and then take whatever you wish, he would say, No, you must give it now. If not, I will take it by force. Thus, the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord for they treated the offerings of the Lord with contempt. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. His mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord repay you with children by this woman for the gift that she made to the Lord, And then they would return to their home. And the Lord took note of Hannah. She conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. Now Eli was very old. He heard all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil doings from these people. No, my sons, it is not a good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If one person sins against another, someone can intercede for, for the sinner with the Lord. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can make intercession? But they would not listen to the voice of their father. For it was the will of the Lord to kill them. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and with the people. This is the word of the Lord.
0: The New Testament reading this morning comes from the book of Romans chapter 8, 33 through 34. Listen again for God's word to us. Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is to condemn, it is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God." I remember a time back in high school when I was uh, realized the immense power of an intercessor I was encouraged by my music teacher at that time, Mr. Heldman, our high school choir director and the director of high school musicals to apply for a summer program at Berkeley College of Music in Boston. This was just for high school students, a chance to learn music theory, to go further with our chosen instrument and get to play in ensembles with other high school students. It sounded like a great opportunity to me. And the application required a few things. One is it required an audition tape. Well, I made an audition tape of my piano playing, but I knew that anyone with a keen ear, any music professor or judge of musical excellence would know that it was sort of mediocre. I was not the greatest piano player then or today. We got to see the cross-country meet recently that both my daughter Lucy and Isaiah Givens was a part of over at the Rose Bowl Friday night. And if you were to compare me to a runner at that time, I was a person who would have been right in the middle of the pack of runners, probably towards the back, But I knew there were great other musicians because I had a friend my age, Richard, who was an amazing classical pianist. He would have been at the front. Isaiah Givens was a full minute ahead of number two runner, a full minute just about. That's how far Richard Park was at the time ahead of me. I knew my music playing skills were modest. I was towards the back of the pack, but I had this hope. I had an intercessor. I had a music teacher who I thought would speak to me and say, hey, this guy's got great potential. He loves music. Give him a shot. And when I was accepted, I assumed it was because of that intercessor. Intercessors have power. I've since realized this when I've been asked on many occasions to be a reference for people, not just simply high school students, but often to be a reference these days for those who have been members of Knox and gone through the ordination process and then are looking for churches. A pastor nominating committee will be considering someone like Lindsay Anderson Beck or like Steve Wiebe, and they'll call me and say, so, what do you think about this person? Would they be a good match, and I've discovered that it is significant what an intercessor says, whether you say, yes, this person will be a great fit for that church or not. Intercessors can play a wonderful role. In the time of First Samuel, the role of the high priest in many ways was that of an intercessor, that was a great power that the high priest held. They would offer intercessory prayers for the people, especially on festivals like Yom Kippur. They would ask for forgiveness of God. They would plead on behalf of the people for God's forgiveness. In today's passage, we read of how Eli offers an intercessory prayer for Hannah, prays that Hannah and Elkanah might have even more children, and God answers this prayer as they're blessed with three sons and two daughters after Samuel. We read in Psalm 106 that when the ancient people of God were wandering in the desert, they ate sacrifices that were dedicated to the dead. This practice, we believe, was associated with the worship of Canaanite gods, and God was so angered by this that God sent a plague the way the plague finally stops is through the intercessory prayer of the high priest at that time, Phineas. High priests were a great intercessor. An intercessory prayer can still today, as then, be a powerful ministry. I remember early on in the pandemic when I suffered a minor back injury, hearing that many of you were praying for me, that meant a great deal. Daniel Lavin has shared with me just this week how much it's meant to him that so many of you have been praying for him as intercessory prayers, bringing the concern of his infection and his foot and the surgery that followed that and his healing to God in prayer. Thank you for those prayers. And sometimes we need intercessory prayer because we don't have the strength or maybe at the time the faith we yearn for in order to pray. Marilyn McIntyre tells of a time that she had a friend whose wife was dying, and this friend struggled to pray. She asked this friend at one point, shall we pray together for your wife? And he just said, I can't do it right now. I can't pray, but I would love you to pray. I need you and others to pray for me right now because I don't have the strength. That friend would return to prayer, but for that season, the prayers of others lifted up. The intercessory prayers meant a great deal to him. Sometimes we all need others to pray for us. Hannah needed others to pray for her when she struggled with infertility and Eli offered intercessory prayers. Well, at that time, because the high priest would spend so much time in prayer and attending to the temple and all the accoutrements, all the various things that were necessary, the sacrifices and offerings in order for him to dedicate his time to prayer, a way that the people supported his ministry was then and now by donations. But the way it happened then was not by dropping something in the offering plate ordinarily or at least not money. It was bringing grain or bringing meat as an offering or sacrifice to the temple. And the priest and the priest's family would then receive a portion of that, and that is how they would live since they didn't have time themselves to keep fields or flocks or herds. However... That process, that system could be abused, and we read that it was. It was like the children of the pastor were embezzling funds from the church, taking more than their share, taking more than the amount of meat that was allotted to the priest and his family, taking it even before it was cooked. And this is presented in 1 Samuel, not simply as a sin against neighbor, but a sin against God, something that showed contempt. To God, since these offerings were dedicated to God and meant to glorify God, not to provide for the priest's family's greed. And so Eli confronts his sons with their bad behavior, and he confronts them as a high priest, as one very familiar with the power of intercessory prayer by posing for them a question, a question that still resonates with us today, and the question is this, as it's articulated in today's text. If one person sins against another, Eli asks, someone can intercede for the sinner with the Lord, but... If someone sins against the Lord, who can make intercession? It's one thing for a person who, says stolen a bull to return that bull, to ask forgiveness of the neighbor from whom he or she has stolen the bull, and then to ask the priest, to pray, to intercede for God on behalf of that person who stole the bull. The priest Eli would know how that works. However, if someone directly sinned against God and continued to do so, how was an intercessor to ask for forgiveness? That's the question Eli poses. For example, think of a courtroom. How is a lawyer to offer a defense for a defendant if the one who that defendant has injured and to injure is the judge. At that point, doesn't it become a relationship between the defendant and the judge, and how does the lawyer have power that only the judge has to forgive? Well, as Christians, we read that dilemma, the intercessor's dilemma. How does one intercede in prayer when one has sinned against God? We read of that, and we imagine precisely the kind of intercessor you would need. You would need someone who could be a bridge between that human defendant and that divine judge and that kind of intermediary, that kind of intercessor. We read in the book of Romans and elsewhere in the New Testament, like in Hebrews, that is what we have in Christ. In Christ on the human side, we have a Savior who presents us blameless before God as we're united with Christ by faith. In Christ on the divine side, we have a forgiving judge who does not condemn, but declares us beloved, forgiven, welcomed into the family of God. Today's passage from 1 Samuel reminds us of the incredible power and role of the intercessor that we have in Christ, the one who answers the question of Eli, if someone sins against the Lord, who will make intercession? As Christians, we profess Christ is the one. He is for us the great high priest who makes intercession for God's people. In Eli's time, we read that the repercussions of the great sin of Eli's son, the consequences of that, was death. In Christ, we believe we have a Savior whose power was even greater than death. And so, if today's passage points to the terrible consequences of sin when it speaks of the impending death of Eli's sons, the story we hold by faith is one of forgiveness and new life thanks to the intercessor we know and have in Christ. Well, today's passage ends with a reminder of the power of intercessory prayer as Eli's prayer for... Elkanah and Hannah, that they might have more children is answered. As Christians, we believe yet another prayer in this text would finally be answered, the prayer for a great high priest who could make intercession for us with God, reconcile us with our Creator, and overcome the power even of the grave. That is what we believe we have in Christ, one who intercedes in prayer for us today. And so, friends, With that great intercessor, that great high priest, we are then led to follow that Savior where He leads. And where He leads is the very form of intercession that He Himself practiced. We intercede as our Savior showed us. We're called to intercede as He intercedes for us. We intercede as advocates for the immigrant seeking asylum. And so, we continue to pray for and accompany Irma in her journey of seeking and we hope receiving asylum. We intercede for the unhomed through our housing justice work, and we intercede for victims of racial profiling and for the earth and the ways it has been harmed by human hands. We intercede, we're advocates for others, and we intercede in prayer. We intercede offering prayers of intercession for others in the name of our great intercessor, Jesus Christ." You may have heard of a day John Wesley describes back in 1956 when Christians offered up a great intercessory prayer. He wrote that the King of Britain had called for February 6th that year to be observed as a day of solemn prayer and fasting in Britain, for France was threatening an invasion. And so, this day of fasting and prayer was called for, and on February 6th, John Wesley recorded in his journal, the fast day was a glorious day, such as London had scarce seen since the Restoration. Every church was more than full. Surely God heareth prayer, and there will yet be a lengthening of our tranquility. Then later in a footnote, he writes, humility was turned into national rejoicing. For the threatened invasion by the French was averted. Now, does God always answer prayer like that? The way God answers the prayer of Hannah and Elkanah, the way, as John Wesley saw it, God answers the prayers of so many in Britain back in 1956. You and I both have known times when we prayed to God for something, offered intercessory prayers. Others have prayed for us, and that prayer has not been answered in the way that we had hoped it would. And yet changing God, Being sure God acts according to our desires, it doesn't seem to me like that's the primary point of our prayers, of even our intercessory prayers. Instead, I would argue, at least for those who believe faith is not demanding God change, but presenting ourselves to God as people open to change and being conformed to God's will, prayer is about listening to God, offering our desires, but finally submitting. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great leader of the confessing church in Germany in the time of Hitler, described intercessory prayer like this. He said it was seeing people, seeing people in all their need and hardship and distress. Intercessory prayer, he writes, grants them the same right we have received, namely the right to stand before Christ and to share in Christ's mercy. Bonhoeffer writes of prayer transforming the ones who pray. He wrote, I can no longer condemn or hate Christians for whom I pray no matter how much trouble they cause me. In intercessory prayer, the face that may have been strange and intolerable to me is transformed into the face of one for whom Christ died. Prayer changes how we look at people And the great prayer, the great pastor of the civil rights movement, the great mentor of Martin Luther King, Jr., Howard Thurman, described prayer and how it changes us like this. He spoke of how prayer opened our lives to another's needs and helped us to see how that need has to do with us he saw prayer connected to activism because prayer connected us with the needs of the world and helped us figure out how those needs how they related to us reminds me of that great quote about call meaning where our own hearts yearning and the world's deep need meet that's what prayer can help us discern prayer of intercession helps us see the needs of others, we present them before God and God's mercy in Christ, and in doing that, we are changed. When we pray for victims of Hurricane Ida and other ecological disasters, it awakens us to address the ecological crisis of our time. When we pray for those who don't yet know the love of Christ, it opens us up to be people who share the good news. When we pray for victims of gun violence, it awakens us to act on their behalf, to bring about change that might mean there are fewer deaths to gun violence. And when we pray for our enemies, it makes us people who no longer seek their destruction but see them as beloved children of God, as those for whom Christ died. So, friends, in these days, when there are so many challenges we face, where the needs of the world are so great, the needs and challenges you face are great, the needs of our church are great, hold tight to prayer, hold tight to prayer. When you see the limits of your own power to change, so much of what you see is wrong in the world, or so much of what you see needs to be done, lean on God in prayer Use it as a way to remember, to recall, to savor the fact that you are not alone. God is with you in the journey. God empowers you. God is at work in ways you can't be, and God can bring about what we ourselves alone cannot use prayer as a way to connect with that great strength and as you do something else wonderful will happen god will point you god will help you discern how you might engage with the world we can't all tackle everything it's just too much but in prayer we can discern where our own hearts hunger and the world's need meet and from prayer we can be inspired equipped and directed to act. So, in prayer, may we know the power of a loving God with us always, and in prayer, may we be vessels of that God's love for the world. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, amen.